Magandang buhay sa iyo lahat. You're tuned into Pinoy Australiano. It's a sunny day here in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. And uh, yeah, we have a few special guests. Uh, Lopez Lawang is uh, coming up real soon. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. So yung palano. Goat, G-O-A-T, also means greatest of all time. Ah, nagre-record na ba? Ay, sorry guys. How are you? This is Lopez Lawang. I'm returning. It's been a very long time. I'm very sorry. I, I apologize to all of the listeners there. But uh, we will continue with excerpts from The Soul Book, Roberto B. Peleo. Demetrio, Fernando, and Zialcita from the Philippine Reader Series Introduction to Philippine Pagan Religion Ayon. So, I think last time we uh, arrived at this point in the Power Sources and uh, this, the title of this chapter is The Process of God Making Ayon. So I'll put the bookmark here para you know if we ever get lost we can always return to the to the uh, bookmark no so anyways let us begin Lumawig the supreme deity of Pontok religion must have been an actual human being who lived on the crest of the Cordillera and made such a mark for himself that he is remembered as an immortal. Bontok is justly renowned for extensive rice terraces which, unlike those of Ipugao, are paced with gleaming white stone. Ordinary residents who claim descent from Lumawig carry his name as a surname. The foundation stones of his house are said to still stand, and so likewise his taro fields which, irrigated by an eternal spring, yields taro that does not need replanting. Over a century ago, in 1843, Sinibaldo de Mas wrote of a mountain cemetery of living stone that he had visited in the Cordillera. On the highest peak was a hole that people cl- claimed was the tomb of Kabunian, their god. Once upon a time, he too must have been no more than a famous warrior. Let me interject here for a second as Lopez Lawang, guys. I, what if he was really a god and not just a famous warrior? You know, what if he was like a demigod, you know, like like Hercules or, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, like, but we will never know. So, anyway, to be continued. The gods taught Euhemerus, a Greek philosopher of the 4th century BC, were historical persons admired in their community for their wisdom, physical prowess, and other achievements. After their death, the Pope continued to so revere their memory and talk about their extraordinary qualities and deeds that they finally beheld them as superhumans. In our own century, Rizal has become a god for some of our countrymen. 
Euhemerism was an is it Euhe or Euphemerism? I don't know. EUH, yeah? Euhemerism was an early manifestation of a recurring tendency to explain religion as a projection of man's capabilities on a wide cosmic screen. This tendency, which can be called a naturalistic approach, has become increasingly dominant since the 19th century. A, mo a modern version holds that man, seeing himself helpless before thunder, storms, droughts, earthquakes, and other natural forces, posited powerful beings who controlled these forces and could be prayed to. With the advent of more complex forms of social organization, like kingdoms ruled by mighty and often capricious rulers, man experienced renewed helplessness. The gods he projected became omnipotent rulers who could summon legions of spirits and who could sentence a soul to either eternal bliss or eternal damnation. Man's definition of the divine has been shaped by his experience of the human. Is religion then merely the product of man's weakness? Could it be that when man finally assumes full control of himself and his environment, religion will lose its raison d'etre. I'm not sure, guys. I don't speak a French, but anyway. These questions follow logically once one takes the naturalistic approach. Another approach, the phenomenological argues that religion will always be with men, for it springs from a basic experience unique to men. He also can experience the sacred, the mysterium tremendum et fascinans, that mystery at once both immense and enthralling which envelopes certain places, persons, and periods. The objects of veneration may vary, stones and trees in one culture, bread and wine in another, but they all point to a nameless presence, who has received various names according to one's culture. God, Brahman, the Lord of Heaven. Other thinkers not sharing this approach agree that religion cannot be said to spring entirely from man's helplessness. There are basic questions humans necessarily raise because of their quest for meaning. Such questions as, why are we born? What is the meaning of life? What lies beyond death? <coughs> That's very heavy questions, you know, anyway. They, these, sorry. These are perennial questions that man, no matter how advanced his society may be, will always ask. On such ground does religion thrive. Religion, defined properly, is a noble enterprise because it seeks to answer man's most basic questions. However, having taken this position, how then does one explain why religions have varied from one culture to the other or from one historical period to the next? 
Here is where the naturalistic approach proves use pola, for it shows how a variety of factors, the level of technology, modes of allocating wealth and income, <coughs> excuse me, and organization of society can influence definitions of the divine. As will be shown, for instance, gods are more numerous among agriculturists than among hunters and gatherers. Is that true? I don't know. For needs sharply increase once a man plants regularly, builds permanent dwellings, develops specialized trades, and creates complex forms of government. Consequently, the divine is defined differently. The perennial, hang on, let me read that one again. Consequently, the divine is defined differently. The perennial basic questions about ultimate meaning remain, but the answers differ because the context has changed. The language in which religious thought is expressed is mythical a myth is an account of the original acts of gods or acts of the gods their main characters are divine or semi-divine beings they may be unmistakably human though with extraordinary powers and heroic qualities beyond the capacities of mere mortals. Thus, they can lift mountains or pierce the sun. These beings can also take the form of animals likewise gifted with uncanny powers like the Visayan bird, Manaul, who creates the world. The setting of a myth is primordial time, a time beyond our time, and a space that is different from our accustomed world. Then the boundaries that have since separated high from low, past from present, right from wrong, God from man, nature from culture did not yet exist. We are talking about the primordial time, yeah, where they used to make the uh, primordial sabao, no? You know, it's a very, very, very long time before our time, you know? But anyway, the, this primordial time space is also one that will succeed this world once it passes away so you know like like that is the, that is where god is from you know continuing the activities of these beings explain the origins of the world with its minerals its plants animals and humans they also explain how important human institutions and activities came to be such as conception birth circumcision tule marriage incestabus nakopo is like a game of thrones healing agriculture, smithery, pottery making, sorcery, witchcraft, shamanism, and the priesthood.
Amit thus makes up the unwritten charter of a people, the model for their everyday behavior, and the embodiment of their most basic values, ideals, and aspirations. It is accepted on faith by those who believe in it, for to question it is to question one's very identity as a member of a community. More recent definitions of myth would extend it to all beliefs that cannot be demonstrated through empirical tests. In which case, even the most secular and most scientifically oriented person harbors myths he is not aware of. He may believe in the myth that science can solve all problems or in the myth that mankind is marching inexorably towards a shining future. Thank you very much guys. Maraming salamat sa'yo lahat for listening to this today's excerpt of the Soul Book. Please check it out. It is uh, from the Philippine Reader Book Series. It was published um, give me a second by GCF GCF Books. Yeah? That's F for Fernando, yeah? And it was uh, published. When was this published by? I don't even have a publication date. I'm so sorry, guys. It looks like it was published very, very long time ago. Unfortunately, it's not like your usual books where they write the date at the beginning of the book. But, ah, 1991. First printing was 1991. It is the sole book uh, with the authors Demetrio, Fernando, and Zialcita, or Sita, Zialcita, sorry. And the artist has got amazing, amazing, amazing illustrations here, guys. Is uh, written by Ro- uh, is, is 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 illustrated by the artist Roberto B. Peleo. The sole book introduction to Philippine pagan religion. Maraming salamat sa Diyos. Thank you everybody for listening. I will be going to cook some adobo now for my visita coming soon. So, uh, I'll hand you over to Anthony uh, Lawang. Thank you. What's going on guys? This is Anthony Luang here. A.K.A. Lama Rock. Um... You were just listening to Lopez Luang there, reading another excerpt from the Soul Book. Yeah, you know, um, I guess all of these, um, these, these, these sort of explorations and studies um, into our history, you know, is definitely, definitely a, a way of getting in touch with um, our culture as Filipinos. I mean, the best way to immerse yourself in any culture, really, is to be in that country, right? To be in that place where where they do their thing, you know? So if we're talking about things like subcultures then, you know, let's say like, let's say like something like hip-hop, you have to sort of know and meet people and just find out where this particular hip-hop culture exists, you know? But in terms of uh, more established culture cultures, then yeah, you know, 
the Philippines is where you gotta go to learn about Filipino culture. But while you can't be there, then obviously technology allows us to go on YouTube, get on social media, we can get on the on classic classic forms of, of media like books and whatnot to uh, learn about a particular country. So of course our journey continues here in 2018. And yeah, you know, we'll be getting more special guests again while we were in um while we were in Osaka a couple of weeks ago. Um, my uncle who who uh, was on one episode speaking about um, adobo was there. Came to visit, so you know we'll catch up with him to to hear about his thoughts on Japan and and you know maybe things that could be done. You know, or you know, you know, sort of vibes, visions, you know, even imaginary circumstances he could think of of like how that could help the Philippines, what he's seen there in in um, in Japan. You know, not that the Philippines needs any help. You know, they are their own culture, their own people. You know, it's really up to them how they're going to get things done with their government that's all of that you know but <coughs> we're also going to get um ian balazzo back on and uh, he's gonna we're gonna have a banter about filipina cuisine and his recent holiday to the philippines and yeah we're also involving um his cousin uh christopher ledesma better known as charisma um, uh, who's a who's a MC, rapper, producer, singer, and uh, yeah, very, I'm looking forward to catching up with all three of these guys for upcoming episodes. So, guys, we're gonna wrap it up real quick because I don't really have much to say today, personally, except that last night's adobo and sinigang that Mum made was on point. It was just on point, man. And one of my friends has arrived, so I gotta go. But thanks for tuning in, guys. Take care. Peace out.